0: Hello, and welcome to the Reconstructionist Podcast, where we help you reconstruct while you deconstruct so you don't self-destruct. So this week, we have someone who is going to blow your mind. It's a guy by the name of John Thompson, and he is very different. Um, I am so excited for you guys to hear this because when I first ran into John, it was a year ago at a youth conference for youth leaders and youth pastors. And he spoke, um, the Holy spirit and his talk was so different than anything I've ever heard. And I immediately picked up his book on the subject because I wanted to learn more. And I honestly have had my mind blown by the way he sees the Holy Spirit, the way he sees spiritual disciplines and the way he sees revival. And so me and John dive into those three things and really wrestle with them. And I mean, he is going to make you excited for being a part of God's kingdom. He's going to make you convicted for how you're not actually living it out. And he is going to make you encouraged to start taking steps to actually bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So without further ado, here is my conversation with John. Well, hey, John, how's it going? Well,
1: I'm tired. I got three kids, uh, 13, 11, and nine. And so we're living through the COVID reality of homeschooling mm-hmm. and virtual school and all the chaos. And I moved during COVID and I'm a pastor of a multi-site church that has not met for, met for 11 and a half months in person. So a lot uh, going on. That's, a lot going on. Yeah. Lots of
0: fun. Uh, For those who don't know who you are, can you just give a little intro to yourself, like who you are, what you do, what you've been up to, those kinds of things? Yeah. So my name is
1: John Thompson, and I am one of the lead pastors of a church called Sanctus on the east side of Toronto. So it's a large multi-site church. About 3,500 people are connected to our community. About 55 nations Mm -hmm. are connected to it. So it's, it's pretty multicultural, and we're growing in that. Uh, so I've been on staff for 23 years. So that's my primary thing. I'm also an author and I'm also a professor, uh, and I do the uh, the theological stuff. Actually, my my areas in spiritual theology. So that, like I said, I'm a dad, and I miss eating good food in restaurants.
0: Yes, very much so. Because you live in Ontario,
1: right? Yeah. So I, yeah, on the east side of Toronto. I actually moved farther out. I'm actually in this little crazy village called Port Hope which mm. basically is a Charles Dickens novel. Like almost all the houses here are 140. I'm actually in a house we just bought. It's an old Presbyterian pastor's house from 145 wow. years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. epic.
0: So we're talking today because I was at a youth conference um, for leaders in youth ministry and my fiance went to one of your sessions um, and heard you talk about this thing called convergence and the Holy spirit and how the church um, needs to essentially you said uh we need to have jesus be more than just our lord and savior if we want to move forward and so i wanted to ask you that just right out of the gate because i've read your book and all that stuff but people can hear that and be like whoa what does he mean because i know that was my reaction It's like, what does he mean like jesus needs to be more than our lord and savior what do you mean so i want to ask you um what what do you mean that by that why why does jesus need to be more than our lord and savior Yeah, so let me just
1: begin to have a conversation with you and those listening. I know that we're in a really scary period in history, and I know a lot of your friends and a lot of people listening to this. So your peers and also those you're leading are sort of torn all over the place, a lot of deconstruction going on, a lot of fear, a lot of what the heck. Mm -hmm. You're the most informed generation ever and the least wise generation all at once (laughs) because wisdom takes time. It's information Mm -hmm. digested. So, uh, Jesus is, has to be our savior and Lord. And of course, I mean, again, for you guys who are wrestling with this, you need to do your homework. Don't just go to Google, don't just go to Wikipedia. You gotta do your homework about the historicity of Jesus, all the sources outside of the scriptures that point to him, his saving work, his claims about himself, and his lordship. Mm-hmm. But most of us who grow up in church, whether you grew up in a sort of wild charismatic church or a really strong Baptist church or an Anglican church or something in the middle, uh, we all go, OK, Jesus is my savior. Yes, I accept him. He he's died for me. Yes, he's my Lord. He is my king. And I need to submit to his lordship. But mm-hmm. there's a third thing missing that's contained within the New Testament canon, which is that Jesus also models what a normal Christian life looks like. Mm-hmm. And here's the here's the uh-oh moment for all of us. Most of us, when we have this conversation, here's the fear in the room. I don't care. I'm 45 and balding. I don't know how old you are, but it doesn't matter how old you are. This could be for an 80-year-old, a 16-year-old, or a 22-year-old. How in the world can I be like Jesus when He's God and I'm not? Mm-hmm. That's the problem we're all, we need to be like Jesus and we need to change the world and we need to, you know, okay, fine. I believe he was the son of God and he physically rose from the dead and there's hope and eternal life. But then all these church services and all these sermons about being like Jesus and being like Jesus, yeah, we're going to be like Jesus. So I suppose I'm going to pull up my bootstraps more and I'm going to pray more and I go to a youth retreat more. If you're a Pentecostal, you're going to go through a fire tunnel again. Like, so all I want to say is this as we get going, how in the world do you really be like Jesus when the guy that you're trying to imitate is the second person of the trinity it seems unfair to me Mm -hmm. so this is the conversation i started thinking through theologically and experientially as a pastor as a husband as a dad and as a christian Mm -hmm. and so i labeled it convergence and here's the definition convergence is when three unexpected things come together spiritual gifts spiritual disciplines and a non-guaranteed unusual moment which is a christianese word called revival when mm. these three things converge together you start seeing what an authentic just christian life looks like so can i keep going you yeah good? you keep going yeah okay so so here's here's the uh-oh moment jesus says these really really wild things about himself and about us that mm. if you really think about it are either impossible or lies it's what it feels like to us john five nineteen. jesus says Very truly, I tell you, and by the way, some of your friends are starting to read the Bible. Every time Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, you need to lean in because it's going to be trouble. He says, the son himself can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. Okay? And then there's this other verse that's even more threatening and more wild in John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll even do greater things than me because I'm going to the Father. So anyone who believes in Jesus, not just the apostles, anyone, will do what Jesus has been doing. Mm -hmm. And you go, yeah, BS. No, not true. Haven't seen it. Don't believe it. That's impossible. Mm -hmm. So here's what I started working out. So Jesus says, I do nothing except what I see the Father doing. I only do what my dad tells me to do. So here's the questions I ask. Well, how does Jesus hear what his Father wants him to do? And how did he see what God the Father was up to? And why in the world would Jesus say that in the first place? Because we all thought Jesus was God and equal with the Father, right? Mm -hmm. And then I just read Jesus says to his followers, oh, you'll do the same things I'm doing. So I was like, whoa, 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 we we got a problem here because he's divine and I'm not. So the expectation is impossible. And he's saying these weird things that don't make any sense because he's God. Mm -hmm. And does this even affect my everyday Christian life at 16 years old, 18 years old, in the middle of university, or being a dad? Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, how do I work this out? Because if this is true, we're missing something. And if it's not true, Jesus is a liar and we're in bigger trouble.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Want me me to pause?
0: No, you can keep going. Okay.
1: So um, what you need to do is you need to start upstairs and work your way downstairs. And this is critical. So the Bible, when it reveals what we call Christology, a theology of Jesus, you always are getting it from heaven's view and down here. And if you unpair those two things, you end up with a mutated, unhealthy view of Jesus, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of your audience probably has. So let's start upstairs and then we'll get downstairs. And I promise you by the end of this conversation, this will affect your life wherever you're living but you got to do your homework to get there. Okay. Mm. So you got to go to the book of Philippians, which is written by Paul near the end of his life. It's called the, you know, basically it's his ode to joy. Mm. And he quotes a song that was sung in the church in the sixties, 60 AD, not the 1960s, 62 (laughs) AD. And I've always jokingly said like, this is like Bethel 61 AD. I mean, this is literally the worship hymn. So, And he quotes it, and I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to unpack it for you, because this is going to be helpful to make understand the connection. So it says in Philippians 2.6, Jesus, who is in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So let's all just remember this. Paul is an orthodox rabbi Pharisee. He is one of the best thinkers in Judaism in his time. He's actually still considered by secular historians one of the greatest thinkers that has ever molded culture in history. Mm -hmm. And Paul, an Orthodox Jew who, of course, believes in how many gods? One God Mm -hmm. says that Jesus of Nazareth, the son of a carpenter, shares the essence of Yahweh. So that's insanity, because only one being has one essence, and that essence is divine. Yes. and so when he claims this, he's saying, "Jesus and the Father are one." In other words, he's God." And in mm-hmm. the same breath, he says, "Jesus, who was hanging out, you know a few years earlier than me? Oh, he's God, but does not consider equality with the Father to be grassed.." You're like, what? I just thought you said you were equal and now so so, okay, what does that mean? And this is when it starts narrowing in he says jesus somehow chose not to grasp or hold on to the privilege of who he was so if anyone's taking notes on notes on your iphone listen to this jesus never stops being god he doesn't Hmm. evolve or de-evolve he's always divine but he chooses not to use his advantage of his Godness, though he remains God.
0: So if Mm -hmm. you ever
1: read the message, here's how Eugene Peterson puts it. Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself. He had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Mm -hmm. Okay, we still good together?
0: Yeah, this is good. Okay,
1: so what does the song say? Well, the next stanza in the song says, how does he not cling to the advantages of his divinity, yet is fully divine, never stops being God. He made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, so incarnation, skin, being found in the appearances of man, he humbles himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So God takes on flesh, incarnation, Christmas time, lives a perfect life, did amazing ministry, loved all sorts of crazy people, taught incredible things, cast out demons, brought people back from the dead, walked with the Father without conflict, died a death we all deserve, physically rises from the dead so paul's point is jesus though he had all power was a servant and we all go amen and he's equal with god and we go amen and then there's this amazing verse verse nine therefore god the father exalts him the highest place gives him the name above every name that in the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth under the earth and every tongue confess jesus christ Mm -hmm. is lord to the glory of god the father and if there's any pentecostals out there they should be really saying amen really strongly right now now Here's my point. You've got Jesus in his entirety, his pre existence before the manger existed, because he's eternal, his incarnation, his death, his ascension. But my question was this because of the John stuff, how did Jesus choose not to take advantage of his Godness between Mm -hmm. Christmas and Easter? Yeah. So the only way you get that answer is you have to walk from upstairs and you have to come downstairs. And how do you get downstairs to read the Gospels? And specifically, you got to read Luke. So in Luke 321, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousins, baptized in a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And then it says in Luke 321, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And when he was praying, heaven was opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like, uh, on, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Now, here's what we need to work out. The Holy Spirit is placed on Jesus. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. Why does Jesus Jesus isn't the Holy Spirit? He's one with the Father, the Spirit, He's God. We're Trinitarians. So, well, there's two reasons. First, God the Father and the Spirit affirm who Jesus is. This is my son, whom I love. So it's identity marking. Great. But second of all, here's the uh uh-oh moment. He's given the Holy Spirit to do God the Father's will. So think about it. Up to this point in Jesus's life, Jesus has never healed anyone, never Mm -hmm. cast out demons. He's never taught anything. All we know at 12 years old, he was in the temple, ran away from mom and dad, they freaked out. And when they found him, he had epically blown away the religious leaders of the day. Why? Because he knew the scriptures so well, but no one followed him. Mm -hmm. But right after the Holy Spirit hovers or overshadows him by the way just a little connection to christmas just like the holy spirit overshadowed mary side uh-huh. Uh-huh. and just like the holy spirit overshadowed the temple in solomon's time and overshadowed the tabernacle in moses's time and just like the holy spirit in genesis 1 2 overshadowed the nothingness at creation
2: mm-hmm.
1: there's the connection he overshadows jesus so why he gives the Holy Spirit, the Father gives the Holy Spirit, so Jesus would do his will and be empowered. So here's mm-hmm. the light bulb moment for all sorts of us. Ready? This is incredible. The Holy Spirit's given to lead and empower Jesus to do God the Father's will. So that means that without the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would not have been able to do all the cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to stop because a bunch of people are going to Instagram and tweet that I'm heretic. So yeah. watch this. Yeah. This is how Jesus chose not to grasp the power or privilege of being God, even though he remains God, and did what the Father wanted by the power of the Holy Spirit, period. In other words, Jesus did not do his ministry out of his godness once. So this is important. I want to say this again jesus only functioned under the power of the holy spirit and only did god the father's will Mm
2: -hmm. so
1: this now makes all sorts of things make sense like luke 4 1 jesus full of the holy spirit returned to the jordan and was led by the spirit into the desert if you read the mark account it says that when jesus is baptized the holy spirit in greek says pushed him into Mm -hmm. the desert to face satan It says in verse 14 in Luke, uh, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you never been confused why Jesus didn't know when he was coming back? Yeah. I thought he was God. Doesn't he know all this stuff? Like, Mm -hmm. right? So here's here's the question that we ask. So how did Jesus do all the amazing epic stuff, but not use his Godness, but never stop being God? And the answer is Jesus isn't just our savior and our Lord he's our model of what a normal christian life looks like and he shut off the god tap even though he had it to demonstrate it so here's the mind-blowing thing so when jesus cast out demons he didn't do it out of his divinity he did it because he had the gift of miracles he used Mm. spiritual
0: gifts so what that makes me wonder So I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Like Jesus, I can see that. And the apostles, I can see it. Like Paul's even sneezing in handkerchiefs and people are somehow being healed when they pass it around. Makes no sense. It's really weird, sure. But like, I don't know. I've been in church my whole life and it doesn't seem like that. And so I would ask you like, why? If this is what we're supposed to be, if we're supposed to be like Jesus, if he's more than just our Lord and Savior, what is going on that we in the Western church, especially today, it feels like this isn't happening? Like I don't see a bunch of little Jesuses running around.
1: Well, you, Well, here's how I respond to you. You sort of see a bunch of Jesuses running around. So let me keep unpacking mm-hmm. this because it's, it's, it's not as bad as we all think, and it's not as good as some other people think. So mm-hmm. let me just keep working this. Out. Again, Jesus used spiritual gifts to serve. So when Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount? Teaching. Cast of demons, miracles. Uh, Healing, gift of healing. So in other words, Jesus doesn't use his divinity. Here's the critical thing to get through, so we'll get to your question. If Jesus did everything out of his divinity, we can never be like Jesus because we can never imitate Jesus because we're not God. Yeah. So then the question has to be, another question, I swear I'm gonna get to your question, is this. If Jesus did stuff out of spiritual gifts, then how did he know what he was supposed to do because he now doesn't hear the Father? Yeah. The answer is the other side of the coin. He uses spiritual disciplines. Mm. Jesus used spiritual disciplines to learn to hear the Father, to listen, and to model what a normal Christian life should be. So here's how we phrase it. Spiritual disciplines for Christians are a guaranteed place of encounter when walking with God. They set up the, the environment to hear what you're called to do and be transformed. So in other words, what Jesus does is Jesus uses spiritual disciplines to get permission and hear and uses spiritual gifts to serve
0: because Mm -hmm. he's modeling.
1: So I, I always say this, have you noticed that Jesus also always walks away at the wrong time? Yeah. Yep. It's the most epic thing, feeding of the 5,000, oh my goodness, it's you know Hillsong, there's thousands of people, blah, 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 this is so great. He's like, I'm out. And people are like, you can't be out, this is the thing, this is the thing, this is the thing, you came for this thing. He's like, yeah, I got to go. And they're like, no, you can't go, this is the thing. And he's like, yeah, I'm leaving. Where are you going? I'm not telling. What? Now, I grew up always, and I was told, you know, oh, well, he was really tired because he's human. True. Actually, mm-hmm. he needed to sleep. The whole Sabbath conversation, million percent. But when you read all the Gospel accounts, it says that when Jesus went alone, he always does something. Mm. He's praying. Mm. Why? I thought he was one with the Father. He's praying, because remember, the God tap is what? Off. Mm. So he's using solitude, silence, fasting, etc., to say to his Father, so what do you want me to do next? Uh, so what? watch this. You know the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus yeah. was a wee little man. A wee little man was he? Okay. So, lived in Jericho. So, this is how it would have gone. Uh, hey, Father, good morning. Oh, what's the assignment today? Oh, you want me to go to Jericho? Why do you want me to go to Jericho? I mean, why not Caesarea? Oh, Jericho, why? There's a man. Oh, he's, he's a wee little man. How are we? Oh, he's that small. And where am I going to find him? Oh, I'm going to find him where? Oh, he's going to be up in a sycamore tree. Why? Oh, because you've, you've elected him to salvation. You want me to go to his house? Uh, okay, I'm on it. See, Jesus Jesus is not just Savior and Lord. He's the pattern personally, and here's where I get to your question, and for us corporately. Mm. So watch this. Everything that Jesus did, other than being God in flesh, Savior of the world, dying for the sins of the world, praying before the Father, right? We have the authority to do, and this is the critical thing, together. Mm -hmm. not individually. You are not Jesus and I'm not Jesus. We together are the body of Christ. And when you get to Paul, Paul follows the same pattern. Ready? Very first thing that happens when you became a Christian is you're baptized in the spirit. First Corinthians 12, 13. We're all, not some of us, it's not a second cool Pentecostal thing. No, no. We're all baptized in the spirit. One body, Jew, Greek, slave, free. We're all given the one spirit to drink. So we're given the same spirit Jesus had. And then Ephesians 5, 18, he says, be filled with the spirit, keep in step with the spirit, which is over Mm -hmm. a lifetime. And then he says, oh, and by the way, you can have the same character I have. It's called the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, which by the way, just for your audience, you can't invent. You have to pray for those things because it's the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of Aidan or John. Mm -hmm. It's impossible. And then he says, and oh, by the way, you now as the church are going to walk in the gifts of the Spirit. So, the crazy thing is when Paul talks about the church, he says the literal experience of Jesus is our literal experience together. So, here it is. When we suddenly understand that we can actually do the same things as Jesus did, and more, because there's more of us, by the way, and we realize that Jesus is our Savior, and our lord but he laid aside the privilege of who he always is and he uses disciplines to hear and be transformed and gifts and our character starts to grow so we're not grieving the spirit Mm -hmm. then we can actually do what god says but if you believe it's impossible you'll never do it it's impossible Mm -hmm. now then the question is well how do i start working out gifts well three things one you need to know the difference between natural gifts, acquired gifts, and spiritual gifts. Natural gifts is what you're – some of you are born good at math or biology or, I don't know, you're good at athletic. Um, you know, not me. And that, mm. that's, not, that's not my experience. But that's what it is. Some mm. of you have the spiritual – some of you have the acquired gifts and you go to school, right? Yeah. But that's not guaranteed. Mm. Critical thing is spiritual gifts are completely different,
2: uh.
1: and spiritual gifts, endowments by the Spirit. Mm. In other words, you don't need the Holy Spirit to be in the room for you to be good at, at being a good athlete. You don't need the Holy Spirit in the room to learn, learn biology. You do need the Holy Spirit in the room to be merciful if it's your gift.
0: Mm. So what you tell? I don't know if this is in the book or if you did in the conversation um, in the talk that you had, but you tell the story about someone who thought they had a spiritual gift. I think they were in a class that you were in and they're like, my spiritual gift is this. And then you're like, ah, how how have you had that spiritual gift? They're like, I've had it my whole life. Now, even before conversion, they're like, yep. And you tell a story about that that's really interesting and surprising to me. Do you want to dive into that story a little bit?
1: Yeah. So remember, you don't get spiritual gifts until they come from the spirit. Mm. And you only get the spirit at conversion. So any gifts you have pre-conversion are not from our side. So I had a guy in my seminary class who was preparing to be a pastor who thought he had the spiritual gift of discernment, but he actually was a psychic and not a fake psychic like at three o'clock in the morning. I mean, a real psychic always could tell the future. And I asked him, well, what about your grandmother, your mother? He said, oh yeah, we all have it. I said, not from our side. I said, you need to go renounce that gift. Uh, because it's it, it's not from us, and he renounced it, and it was gone the next morning. He was terrified. he had never not lived with this gift. Uh, so spiritual gifts only come from the Spirit after conversion. Anything before, give it over to Christ
0: and get rid of it. And
1: So you ask – go on. ahead, sorry.
0: No, you keep going. What were you going to say? So,
1: I was just going to say, so you asked the question, why do we not see our churches functioning like this? I'll tell you mm-hmm. the reason. One, most people don't believe that it's possible to be like Jesus. Mm. two, most of us have never asked the question from God, what are our spiritual gifts? And we haven't read the Bible on spiritual gifts, or we've taken some test online, which is never helpful, because (laughs) actually, you got to work it out in community. Mm. Another problem is we don't have the same language for the gift we're talking about. So when I say tongues, and you say tongues, what do you mean? Mm. And lastly, and most importantly, we've been taught that gifts are sort of choose your own adventure. Mm. It's like a buffet. And it's not. It says in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 that the Holy Spirit assigns what you get. You don't get to choose. You're not an apostle one day and a prophet the next day and a teacher the next day. He actually says you're an eye or a finger or a toe or whatever it is, and that's what you are. Mm. And so it's about interdependence. It's about interdependence together. And so you'll never be able to work out the power of God unless you function like the body of Christ. And the body of Christ means you actually all know your gifts and you're growing in character and you're interdependent with each other.
0: So how do we how do we figure that out because I I've grown up in church like I've done the online tests to tell you what it is. They're usually unhelpful. Um uh I've I've sat around and prayed like but it's like how do I actually know what my spiritual gifts are? How do I know that I'm not just good at teaching in general that I actually have the gift of teaching? How do I know that I have the gift of mercy or like the gift of wisdom? Like how do we actually discern whether it's a
1: real yeah so um a few things and again this is just an intro conversation to a much larger conversation so we can't do mm-hmm. it all here but he, here's the first thing that we use three definitions love word and power gifts there's about 21 designed 21 or 22 in the new testament love gifts demonstrate the love of god word gifts clarify who god is and what he wants power gifts show you he's in the room in this moment mm-hmm. so love gifts the love of God, word gifts, who God is and what he wants, power gifts demonstrate he's in the room. Does that make sense? Those three categories? Yep. Okay. Yep. So here's here's the first thing. Read your Bible. Actually read First Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. Just actually read what the gifts are. Because mm-hmm. most people have never even done that. Like, here's a crazy thing. Most people think the gift of miracles and the gift of healing are the same gift, but Paul says they're not. Uh-huh. It's just right in the list. They're different. So, okay. Uh, wildly, here's another one. Paul says that leadership is different than shepherding. In other words, mm-hmm. leadership and pastoring are two different gifts. What? So I would encourage, you know, everyone just to basically read the scriptures Mm -hmm. Here's the second thing is where you're angry is usually where you're gifted. What do you mean? Okay. So where you're pissed off is where you tend to be gifted. If you want to really know where you're spiritually gifted, find out why you're always angry at something at church and you'll know. So every person with spiritual gift of teaching, is concerned a lot of people aren't reading their bible enough and why don't they read theology more and why don't they read commentaries and does no one care of anymore everyone with mercy is like don't you care about poor people what about social justice and racial reconciliation you all just hate everybody and then the prayer person is like hold on a second shouldn't we be praying i thought that was where the guaranteed power is and why aren't we praying three hours a day and the, the administrator's like john shut up you're such a visionary could you have a plan please <laughs> see where you're angry is where you are gifted uh And that's why it's incredibly important that you not only see where you're angry, because it's probably pointing to to, to your gift, you also need to have 1 Corinthians 13. See, between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, you've got 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about love, which is usually read at what? Weddings. Mm -hmm. But it has nothing to do with weddings. It has to do with spiritual gifts, because you need the character of Jesus so you can actually stop being angry at each other and actually start working together. The more the character you have, the more your gift will be used well, because you're not grieving the spirit and you're working together.
0: So, do you think that's why this just makes me think of denominations? Do you think this is why, like, for example, at my church, I had a group of friends who were like, Oh, we're not biblical enough. We're out of here. And do you think that it's the love piece missing, but also that it's like the reason why you guys go off and start your own denominations all the time isn't because you're always wrong. Sometimes it is. Sometimes there's stuff that's like, oh, we should like maybe part ways over this. But it's like, do you think that a lot of that comes from, we've just separated people into different gifts in different churches and that's essentially what we've done?
1: So yes, one of the big things that we need to acknowledge is there's this thing called gift tension that actually leads people much of the time, not only to theological disagreements, but actually to this battle. So here's the great example I give. Do you know the fight between Barnabas and John and, and Barnabas and Paul over John Mark? Yeah. Who was right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So here's the interesting thing. Everyone with the gift of encouragement and shepherding says Paul's an ass and he's not nice to John Mark. And by the way, Barnabas is, I, gave, I mentored you and put up with all your crap and you can't do it for John Mark. Yeah. And then every leader in the room is like, what are you talking about? We have to win, win the whole Roman Empire. we got to spread the gospel all over the place. And so I'm sorry, I don't have time for this little guy over here. He doesn't have his stuff together. Yeah. That is an example of gift tension. See, Barnabas and Paul are approaching this conversation, not out of ego, but out of gift. Oh. One's a pastor encourager. One's an apostolic leader teacher. Mm. And so actually lots of pain that your audience and your friends have experienced in church isn't just because of a gender conversation or an ethnic conversation or a theological, it's actually a gift tension moment you misdiagnosed. Uh So lots of people are hurt in church because they expect their pastor to be their own gifts. Wow. And when the pastor doesn't suit and go up to the standard of what they're supposed to do, then they see it's not a real pastor. Oh, no, no, that's an office called pastor. But what spiritual gifts does that pastor have? You can't uh, say to him, you know, and it's the same thing with us. So the best way to work out gift tension is acknowledge it and then realize there's 21 directions that the Holy Spirit's taking us. And we need to interdepend with each other, act like Jesus, have First Corinthians 13 love, and then say to the prayer person, I'll learn the discipline of prayer, but you can go pray three hours a day and don't turn around and say to me, I'm not walking well with Jesus. Because remember, where you're spiritually gifted, not only is it where you tend to be angry, it's also what you find easier. Hmm. there's an ease to the gifts that you have that other people don't have so if you've got the gift of evangelism you're not billy graham necessarily and everyone's getting saved all the time but you can't stop telling people about jesus there's an ease to it and everyone else is panicking like i i'm not even sure if i should say anything right yeah. um a teacher i my friend my whole connect group is full of teachers actual like public school teachers not one of them has the spiritual gift of teaching right because the spiritual gift of teaching is the Holy Spirit endowment to unpack the scriptures and to actually bring the scriptures to life and actually show you what you're supposed to do. Teaching Hmm. biology has nothing to do with that. Hmm. It's great. It's important. It's not bad. It's just not a spiritual gift. So there's Hmm. an ease to it. So when an administrator, for example, could actually stop trying to lead the church because they really shouldn't. Yeah. And they get behind a visionary And the visionary leader hears from the line and gets the thing. And then the administrator builds the plan. Yeah. And then, and then already, and then the shepherds hug the sheep because the leader's never going to care about the sheep.
0: Mm. It's
1: amazing what takes place.
0: Man, you're describing my staff culture right now. It's so funny where we're having these conversations of like, Like for me, they're like, you, like, it's just so easy for you. Like you just want to sit with people and talk about Jesus and also like get up on stage and like teach. But then when it comes to like being with people on like a normal basis, like it's like, it's so hard. But then for another pastor, it's so easy. Like they're like, what do you mean? Like, that's what you want to do? You want to get on stage and teach and all you want to do is have like deep theology conversations. But but
1: here's the problem. You guys aren't, I mean, I don't know this. I'm presuming you haven't actually connected this to spiritual gifts and Mm -hmm. here's why this is really important because if you connect this to spiritual gifts then you're going to see actually how your team will function better how certain people need to come in and search in certain situations even though it's not in their job description because they'll have more power than you because the holy spirit is with them in that place see Mm -hmm. i don't have the gift of mercy i have to learn the discipline of mercy i have to be nice because i'm a christian i'm called to be merciful but someone with the gift, you want to know if someone has the gift of mercy, they run towards bleeding. Mm. They love sitting in a hospital room. They love seeing in an old folks home where everyone around them literally is on their last legs. I'm not t- like a hospice. They they love being with people that are broken. Other people are like, uh-huh. Ew, I, ah, no, get me out of here this is what i'm talking about and so if your staff or your friends who are listening could see number one it's possible to be like jesus you can use spiritual disciplines to walk with god even in a COVID moment you can learn how to hear you can learn how to be transformed and then when you find out your one spiritual gift or the many you've been given and you start doing ministry out of that your burnout rates will drop your wow. feeling of inadequacy will disappear because there's a well that you're accessing that is not you.
0: Hmm. Man, that is so interesting. The, I could talk about that conversation forever, but I feel like I want to dive and shift gears a little bit into the uh, spiritual disciplines because I think that's that's something interesting. Because even so, it's easy to get wrapped up on spiritual gifts. I think I I can easily be like, oh, let's figure this out, but then it's it's easy to neglect the like spiritual discipline part where Jesus is going away and he's, and here's the, here's, well, here's the thing for me. Are you saying, so if Jesus is more than my, just my Lord and savior that he's also like an example to follow and Jesus goes away, he's like quiet, he does whatever. And he hears God. Is that something all of us can do or is that like something some of us can do? Like if I actually do the disciplines, am I going to actually be able to hear God or like, yeah. Like what? Like, is that actually a real okay, thing? So, or? It's
1: really, so, yeah. so this is important because, you know, as I talked about, because you read the book and you've, we've had conversation, expectations have to be deeply rooted in scripture and can't be invented in your head. Yeah. Most of our audience is having a faith struggle because they've actually got expectations that are not rooted in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. This is really important. So everyone can use any of the disciplines. You can all fast, you can all pray, you can all go to church, you can all sell it, because mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit assigns gifts individually, but all the disciplines are open. By personality, you'll like some more than others.
2: Yeah. Okay? yeah.
1: Now, what's the purpose of disciplines? To get God's attention? You think God suddenly goes, "Oh, oh, well, mm-hmm. in this week, I saw that he actually gave up Starbucks for a week. So I'm just going to leave my ear a little closer to the ground to listen to his prayers because he fasted. No, no, yeah. no. Spiritual disciplines clear the noise for us to hear and mm-hmm. be transformed. So you want to know three things that spiritual disciplines do? Number one, they teach you that self-denial is at the center of our movement. Mm-hmm. Your, Our culture, but especially your generation, has been taught that self-denial is dangerous. Yeah. yeah. It's not. Self-denial is... We wear a cross as our symbol. Yeah. So self-denial is we say no to what we are born in, born of, what we want, because we have a greater love called Jesus. If you don't love Jesus more Mm -hmm. than fill in the blank, you'll never get involved in self-denial. Yeah. Spiritual disciplines like fasting or solitude or silence. Can you imagine some people in your generation being silent for 25 minutes? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) No, but what I mean is no music, Ah. no sound machine, no techno, nothing. You would hear the noise in your head so quickly. You'd be like, this is because self-denial needs to be taught again in the church second of all will you hear god like behold go not necessarily but if you pair silent solitude in reading scripture there's less voices mm. and that's important and yes sometimes the holy spirit will speak and much of the time by the way read Acts 13 these disciplines are done in community mm. so so Fasting and praying can be done together, and then when people have gifts like tongues or prophecy or teaching, it's in the context of the disciplines and the gifts working together that it mm-hmm. gets really amazing. but yeah, no the disciplines are critical to hear the disciplines are critical for self-denial, and the disciplines are critical to make to form the environment of holiness
0: yeah man that is so so how do i how do I know? Like, should I just do all the spiritual disciplines or is there a way to like know ones that would be more particularly helpful to me? Or Well, first of all, they're called
1: out? disciplines and no one likes discipline. No. And no, it's, a, it's very, you know, like we just, right. And also here's the other thing that is exacerbated in our culture, but I think has come fully home in your generation. If you order something on Amazon today, when do you expect it?
0: Tomorrow. now within two
1: days now yeah right and Correct. Now. and, and yep. if you don't get it within two days what what what's your opinion uh, that company uh, has yeah. failed me they've broken their promise Yep. right they're but horrible here's the problem. <laughs> yeah 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 spiritual disciplines take very mm-hmm. significant time mm-hmm. uh, so you gotta try them you gotta try them And you got to try them for a long period of time.
0: That that sounds hard, John. I don't know. I don't like that. It It sounds hard.
1: Here's the thing though. If you are going to truly walk with God, then you actually need to imitate Christ. And Mm. to imitate Christ as you walk in his power, you walk in his disciplines, and you do it for the long haul. The fragility, again, forgive me for sounding old. I'm not harping on your generation. I love your generation. But what I what is concerning me now as a Gen Xer who's 45, who's observing, there is a growing fragility I'm seeing in the Gen X, uh, sorry, the Gen Z culture, where mm-hmm. perseverance and endurance is actually being ripped away. Uh-huh. And it's antithetical to the disciplines and it's very concerning.
0: I wanna ask this, like, I I have to, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, this sounds like, so there's like the part of me that wants it, but like, you're right. I want it now. And like, it just sounds like so much work that what if I just like, just brutally honest, some of us, what if we just don't want to do it? Like, right.
1: I a hundred percent get it. So let's step back farther. Mm -hmm. Let's start back farther. The reason why we're having this conversation is because we're seeing a church It's powerless in the West. One out of 10 churches are going to be gone by Easter. The Uh, Catholic Church just announced three days ago in Quebec that they're going from 200 churches to 38. And not only going down to 38, they've actually declared that they're going to be missionary outposts and most of them won't even serve communion anymore.
2: So we we,
1: we need to understand this. In Canada right now, one out of 10 churches you know are going to be gone by Easter, two and a half months from now. They're not going to survive the COVID crisis. They're not going to survive the age crisis. There's all this going on. And then we've got this powerless thing. And then we've got generational divides, theological divides, gender divides, all this stuff. So reason why we're having this conversation is this. So I, I want to bring this home. The question I was asking is, how do you live well in a post-Christian culture? This is what started this whole conversation for me. Yeah. Because the real question is, how do you live between two huge gorillas that are fighting each other? One gorilla is this massive secular sexual revolution that's touching all parts of society. Half your friends believe in this gorilla, even though they call themselves Christians, mm. right? My rights, my body, my 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 human, blah, 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 blah. Not Christian, yeah. totally pagan. But anyway, the other half is the rise of dangerous religious fundamentalism that kills in the name of God. Mm-hmm. And by the way, these two gorillas clashed on the US Capitol three weeks ago.
0: Yeah hundred percent and
1: what and what's crazy is christians are both taking sides and both gorillas are wrong Uh, because historic biblical christians are standing in the middle saying you're all wrong uh, as a side note so my question was for two thousand years in times of decline and persecution where has the church thrived and how did they do it no matter their skin color whether there was money or not and the answer i discovered in every revival i studied and every moment of persecution i studied from literally right after the death of saint john through the church fathers to the reformers through the evangelical emergence to the pentecostal deal to what we're experiencing today is every time the church had a resurgence they got serious about gifts disciplines and praying for revival mm. every time
2: mm.
1: so So here, here's the thing. Lots of you are going. I don't want to do this, and I go, okay, fine, but then the church will will not be here. Uh This is spiritual gifts is the only guaranteed place of power to do ministry from. Spiritual Mm. disciplines is how you imitate Christ. So, so the greater question is, and sorry for being blunt. Don't be so selfish. Mm. Don't be so self absorbed. Yeah, we we believe as Christians in the Holy Catholic Church. The universal church. Our faith is a faith of of the body, of people. It's not me and Jesus, it's us and Jesus. And your personal holiness and your walk and your understanding matters. But deeper than that, let's go to the personal side, okay? And I, I think this is just critical. If you go, this is too hard and I don't want this, I get it. We're fleshy, the devil's resisting us, the world says it's not worth it, all the things. Do you love Jesus? Mm-hmm. Like not not in a duty, do you love Jesus? Like do you love your dad? Like, do you love Jesus? Is he your all? Is he your consuming passion? Are you completely overwhelmed that God the Father called you out of darkness into light? Are you unbelievably filled with joy that physical resurrection is guaranteed? If you die of COVID? Physical resurrection, you're coming back like Jesus. Are you so thankful that you don't mourn like the rest of the world? Are you thankful that you have eternal life? Like if you aren't thankful that God entered into time and space to provide a way back, to reveal even who God is, when's when's the last time you thank God for the Ten Commandments that you know what's right and wrong? When's the last time you thank God for you actually know who God is because Jesus reveals him fully? Like if you're mm. not in love then you won't care. You just yeah. won't care. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's disciplines. I'll put it like this. When I got married to my wife and I put a wedding ring on, I had no clue what I was getting involved in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I knew, but I didn't know. Right. I, I took vows, but I didn't fully understand and know Yeah, what was going on in front of me. And so in that moment like marriage, this is so critical, right? I don't do I don't date my wife to make sure she likes me. Yeah. We've already made vows. Mm-hmm. I date my wife so the relationship remains healthy. Mm-hmm. So the level of, but I don't want to do this, this is too hard, or I don't want to find out my gifts because that's too weird and scary. And 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 it's actually revealing your your love quotient for Jesus.
0: Oh, that's good. And challenging um, that's that's where I want to land it uh, that John seriously thank you so much for doing this uh, if if people want to learn more I'd highly recommend that they pick up your book I know you don't like plugging your book but I'm gonna plug it for you like seriously if you want to if you want to learn more about this if this conversation is interesting if you want to dive deeper get John's book but then also I would say what john says start reading your bible (laughs) because if if, uh, yeah this conversation is huge and we as christians like john said it's we we need to start taking this seriously because the the church in the west is currently dying and if we just decide to sit on our hands and do nothing because it's hard like what are we going to do so john thank you for doing this thank you for being here uh thank you for taking the time it's been it's been my pleasure it's been amazing
1: awesome god bless you and thanks for the moment